morning. If you wouldn't turn, if you wouldn't mind turning with me to Matthew chapter number twenty-eight. Uh, verses 18 through 20. And that'll be our launching point. We're going to come back to this verse um, throughout. We're going to cover a lot of other scriptures. If you're fast with a pen, you can write them down. Uh, if not, uh, enjoy listening and take notes. I uh, always encourage people, take notes about whatever God puts on your heart during the message this morning. You may not get every detail, uh, but it'll be just fine. And so Matthew chapter number 28, uh, verses 18 through 20. If you wouldn't mind, if if you're willing and able to stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word, uh, we'll begin reading here in verse number 18. And it says, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would be with us for a few moments this morning. Lord, I ask that you would lend me your spirit, Lord. I pray that you would help me this morning, Lord, to honor you, to live for you. And Lord, I pray that you would preach through me this morning. Lord, I pray that you would make clear the things that need to be said this morning. I ask that you would withhold from me, Lord, anything that shouldn't be said. Now, Lord, I pray that this morning your word would go out and that everything that is preached be for your honor and for your glory. Lord, I pray that you would let us to be uh, hearers of the word, but not hearers only and doers also. Lord, today, may we allow your word to change our lives, not just move us or motivate us, but Lord, to change something in our hearts for your honor and for your glory. In Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen. You can be seated. As Pastor was saying, we have uh, certainly been through a very different path uh, to get us to the point God has us. As I shared this morning in the uh, Sunday school hour is that uh, looking back, I can see God's hand in all of it to bring us to where he has us now. Uh, and I am thankful for the journey. Um, serving God is never boring. Uh, it is not always comfortable, but it is never boring. Um, Something that Dr. R.B. Willett used to always teach our kids. He said that it pays to serve God. And so every time he would come, he'd give our kids $5 each. Every single time. And he would come when our churches were tiny, when we had just started, uh, things like that. And, and it just made an impact in our kids, but it also made an impact in me. Because I was watching God bless my kids, and I wasn't able to focus on all the things they missed out. And man, that just meant the world to us. And I want to encourage you before I start making the turn into missions for this, love your pastor and love his family. There's nothing more important than you could do. So what does that have to do with missions? Well, we're going to look to this morning at uh, what a missionary New Testament church is. Well, you know what? A New Testament church has a pastor. And if you want to keep a good one, that's what you do. You love his family. You be mean to him. He is fine. Just be nice to the family. That's how it works. And with Pastor Kyle, I mean, it's, it works. You know, he can take it. So, But you know what? God has been so gracious to us in all that he has led us to do. This is our sixth church plant that we've been a part of. 
In Bible college, I was studying missions uh, because God put on my heart to plant a church. So I interned for a couple of years with a church planter during Bible college. Graduated from Bible college. We started our first church, my brother and I. My wife and I got married 20 days later. We were on our honeymoon, and after about three days on our honeymoon, we're like, we have got so much to do. Let's just go back home. We've got to set the house up. We've got, we got church on Sunday. We've got to get songs to do, and just went right back to work. Uh, we were there for two years, went and replanted another church for almost two years, and then helped my brother start another church for uh, 11 years where he still pastors today. Uh, and then we went and uh, surrendered to the mission field, went on deputation, went to Costa Rica for language school, then to Argentina to finish language school. But God was ready for us to start a church then. So we went ahead and started a church while we were finishing school and uh, and then we came home for 2020 and uh, of course we all know the world decided to go uh, back crazy and so um, we got stuck here and we just began seeking God's face about what he wanted us to do and and uh, came out the last time we were here I was even talking with pastor at that point about you know, if God has us to start a church here, where are other good areas? And we talked about, you know, Bozeman and other places that might need it. And I was really praying that's where God was going to call me. Um, just because, um, just, if, well, this is live on TV, I'm not going to say. Um, hi, church. I love, my, I love uh, everything about Idaho. And uh, all right, let's just be honest. In Idaho, we have mountains and very little valley. Okay, every time we come over here, I'm like, oh, that's what the sky looks like. You know, you kind of forget for a while. We live in the shade, you know, most of the day uh, of the mountains. But, uh, but no, we just began praying about where God wanted us. And he led us over uh, into North Idaho, which is honestly so much like Patagonia where we lived and just the, the beauty here of this mountain northwest and uh, love every aspect of it. But as God brought us over to, uh, to start this particular church, things just seemed to be different. And when we came to start the Freedom Baptist Church, we learned so many things as missionaries. My, my major was a missions major. I'd been a missions director. All of my friends from college uh, were involved in missions or pastors. They were uh, just all over the country and then uh, all over the world. And so my heart had been for missions all along, uh, but my missions were, was starting right here in our uh, Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. And it wasn't till later on that he called us to the uttermost parts of the earth, but when God called us to go to Argentina, I had to just pause for a minute and say, what is a Bible-believing church supposed to look like? Not what does tradition say, not what does religion say. Where we live in Idaho, one of the best things that I have been able to use in soul winning is that I go to invite someone to our church and they say, I hate religion. And I say, me too. I'm like, religion has ruined a lot of people's lives. I said, but man, there's nothing more important than a relationship with Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden, now we're having a conversation with people that I never would have been able to have before. But that came because I sat down and just said, you know what, I'm just going to study the book of Acts. I'm taking away every commentary. I'm just going to read the book of Acts. I'm going to write down everything I see that makes up the church. And we're actually doing that study now for our 9 o'clock service. It's sort of like our, our Sunday night service is our 9 o'clock service. And so we're uh, doing a through the book of Acts what the church is supposed to look like. But God let us break that down and say, what is a biblical church? And when we came to Argentina, we knew we couldn't have an American church. We needed an Argentine church. 
It had to be a Bible church, but what did that look like for them? And we know that culture affects different things. I, uh, I grew up in uh, a lot of very spirited churches. Uh, I joked this morning that if I get excited, I preach like a cheap lawnmower, loud and wide open. Uh, that is still a true, case, a true thing, but I've learned to settle it down a little bit because where I am, if I start yelling at everybody, they're either going to leave or shoot. And so it's... <laughs> You know, you just kind of got to keep it, keep it settled down, keep everybody's tempers down. And, uh, but, you know, we, uh, we do have to look at the culture of where we are, but the biblical principles supersede everything, and they're the same everywhere. When we came to Idaho, we decided that, you know what, that's our mission field. We're going to treat it the same way we did Argentina. We know nothing. My wife's originally from the Northwest in Oregon, and I'm from Georgia, and um, so I know that I am out of my... Uh, element, if you will, and say, I can't walk into a new place and just say, oh, I know how everything works. That's arrogance and ignorance. Uh, and I don't want to be either one of those. And so we really just began to look at it and say, let's take a little while and just see how everybody does everything. Uh, one of the unique things about North Idaho is you don't go door knocking, not just because driveways are long, but because when they say do not trespass, they really mean it. We joke that the Idaho, North Idaho philosophy is shoot, shovel, and shut up. Uh, and so that's just kind of how it is. If you can't see the house and there's not someone waving you up, don't go. That's just not how you do things. If you see people out in the street, they don't want to talk to you. But all of a sudden, if you go into town and they're shopping and you're shopping, whatever, you can have conversations for hours. But they're like, if when I'm home, I'm home. You know, that, that's the adjustment. So we don't do our evangelism by necessarily going door knocking. We only do that in the, the, the downtown area where the uh, people are used to being bothered and, and that sort of thing. And so we had to change. Like, okay, our outreach is personal evangelism, real life on life, getting it done. And we had to learn just all the different things about what our mission field looked like. And I tell you what, God has just blessed in so many great ways because it doesn't look like what I grew up traditionally in church. Uh, everybody doesn't wear to church what they wore to church when I was a little kid. Uh, everybody doesn't uh, do and live the way that they did when, uh, like we did in the South. Everybody, you could make a Bible statement. People that didn't go to church just knew the statement and, and could tell the stories or whatever. And it used to be the Bible belt. Now it's the religion belt in the South uh, because they've lost their way. And, and it, it was just a different thing. And so as we came here, we just said, you know what? We want to just, just start a Bible-believing New Testament Baptist church. We want to honor God in all that we do. We just want to do it the Bible way. And so this morning as we look at missions, we're going to do that same philosophy. All that to say this. This morning we're going to take a Bible look at New Testament. I mean New Testament Bible church. Because when you look at a New Testament Bible church, you realize very quickly that it was a missionary church. That one of the key things for a New Testament church was to be a missionary church. Our text verses, one of the times that God gave the great commission. Before Jesus left this earth, he gave the great commission five times. And when he gave it, it's recorded all five times that it was recorded. Or all five times that it was given. 
And it was given one time in as many as front of 500 people. It was recorded in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse number 6, that he, uh, before his uh, ascension, that he spoke to 500 people. And one of those times, he gave this great commission. It was given here in Matthew 28, basically to the church at Galilee. So just like his Whitehall Baptist Church, Galilee Baptist Church is who he gave Matthew 28 to. They were there in Galilee. And then in the book of Acts, his final words, right before his ascension, uh, we know that you shall be witnesses unto me. And we're going to look at that more here in just a moment. He gave this great commission. It was the commandment to the church. That word commission, I think it's, uh, it's often well understood when you think of in the Marine Corps, they have officer candidate school. They must complete officer candidate school, which is their officer training and their boot camp. And they're going to be a lieutenant or higher in the Marine Corps. And when they finish, they will be given their commission. That is their assignment. That is their job. And it goes with the rank. To get the rank, you must accept the work. That's part of the commission. And so Jesus Christ gave us a commission and oftentimes we have churches that go around and they, they say we're a church, but if you haven't accepted the work, you don't get the title. And so we see that, and when we look in the New Testament, we see that this picture of a church and the commandment, the work of the church that was given to us is this great commission. The spreading of the gospel. Pastor Clarence Sexton said it this way, that the church is not an organization but an organism. And it is a group of baptized believers who have voluntarily joined themselves together for the purpose of carrying out the Great Commission. It is our job to be a missionary church. Does that mean everybody's going to go around the world? No. Some of us will stay right here. But it doesn't change the job. Because it says into all the world. And I, we've spent all of our ministry uh, doing rural church ministry. Uh, I'm allergic to concrete and people. Uh, I like people in small doses, and I like people that don't like people because we get along. I like neighbors you don't see, neighbors you don't talk to, neighbors that will text or call if they need something, but they won't come over to your house. Those are my kind of neighbors. So being in rural ministry has been a great blessing for me. We went to Argentina, went and saw four of the five largest cities in the country of Argentina, and I saw the need, and I wept. And when God told us that he didn't call us to any one of those places, I said, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. But Lord, I'll keep praying you'll send somebody. Just thank you, Lord, it wasn't me. So I tried to find places where there weren't other missionaries and other people. No, we do love to reach people for Jesus. But this has been our ministry all along, has been in what I look at as a small harvest field. Look, there are some pastors, they've got ranches. They've got 10 and 20,000 acre cattle ranches that God's given them to grow and harvest. That's not me. God's given me five acres in the middle of North Idaho to harvest. That's my harvest field. I'm not worried about what everybody else's harvest field looks like. I'm just worried about the five acres God gave me. My job is to break up the fallowed ground, to plant the seeds, to tend the garden, to grow the fruit, and to give the fruit to Jesus Christ. That, that's my job. And oftentimes when we think of missions, we see the world, but we forget our street. I love, love small towns. 
I love the architecture. I love the old buildings, all of it. I love railroad towns because of how the downtown always faces down by the railroad and you can see where the, the depot was and it kind of makes that long stretch and we always know that as like that's our main street. You've got that main street for town and I think so many times that people are so worried about thinking about the big cities and the masses around the world that we've forgotten to reach Main Street America. We've, we've, we forget about that. Listen, we all go to a grocery store somewhere. We all, do, we all do life somewhere. Hey, can I tell you, they need Jesus. Because the Great Commission, it started with this missionary church. And so we see in this first little passage here, uh, the first thing we're going to look at is the ingredients of a missionary church. Uh, I will be honest with you, I stink at baking. I'm terrible at it. Now I can make some mean buttermilk biscuits. That's just, I think that's in my gravy flows in my veins from being a southerner. Uh, but I, I'm, that's about the only thing I can bake. Uh, some brownies. I, I've gotten pretty good at some, some brownies. And if they go too flat, we'll just call them brownie cookies. And uh, <clears throat> it, it's okay. I tried to make Miss Cassie a strawberry cake one time for her birthday. And it tasted amazing, but it was about that thick. And uh, I was like, I, I think I got the baking powder off. And uh, something went wrong. Um, but Miss Cassie is great at baking. She does all that stuff wonderfully. And I like to cook, but I follow recipes when I cook. Uh, I am very much a this is how we do it, so I want to do it the same way every time. And if you didn't follow the recipe, you didn't do it right. No freelancing. Uh, I was a, uh, uh, an EMT firefighter for a while, and that was the biggest thing they put in our heads is you follow the plan. Do not vary from the plan. This is what we do all the time. And I'm like, I can live in this world. Like, this is my happy place. There are rails to keep me from doing something really dumb. I like this. But whether you're baking or whether you're cooking, the recipe or the ingredients matter. Uh, because uh, I found out when I made Miss Cassie's cake that if you don't have the right amount of baking powder, uh, what you end up with is a really hard-tasting strawberry cookie because nothing does this. And if we want our church to be the way God intended it, we're going to have to have the right ingredients. And the first ingredient is evangelism. Amen. That evangelism is what I was talking about with Main Street. That's Listen, that's our Jerusalem. Uh, everybody goes to a feed store or you've got to go uh, to a tractor place or a truck shop, uh, especially if you've got a Dodge, you have to go often. And so, you know, everybody's got a place that you go to. That's your Jerusalem. That's your first mission field. That's the very first thing that we've been given to do because he says, go ye therefore and to teach all nations. Are we not a nation? Look, my heart has always been for world missions, but God has kept me here at home. Uh, when I was in Bible college, I met Brother Lou Baldwin, and he was, uh, worked in the metro area, and he started something that was called COBA, Conference on Evangelizing Black America. And he worked really hard as a black pastor to raise up another generation of uh, African-American men that he could send back into these inner cities to plant churches and to help them grow in Jesus Christ where they had been forgotten for years and, and things of that nature. And, and after meeting him, I realized that God had burned my heart that I should start CORA, Conference on Evangelizing Redneck America. And I thought it was a fair bounce. Everybody has their, their gift, okay, their, their thing that they could do. And, and I realized, though, that that was also another place that's been forgotten. But who's it been forgotten by? 
us because nobody else comes here. That's a fact. I mean, if it wasn't for I-90, think about that. If there wasn't for I-90, how many people would ever see the sign that says Whitehall? We do not have I-90. So when I say Blanchard, I mean the 269 people that live in Blanchard because about 169 of those people live in this golf course community that's at the edge of, it got swallowed up into town for tax purposes, I'm sure. Like, that's, that's us. We live on Highway 41, not even like a big four-lane highway. We live on an out-of-the-way pig trail. Um, but at least they plow it in the wintertime, praise the Lord. But we live just, I mean, off the beaten path. We live out of the met metropolitan area. And so the truth is that nobody is going to help reach our town if, it, if we don't. There are three other towns around us that don't have a Bible-preaching church in them. Well, guess what that means? We're going to reach out to them until God will allow us to start another church in those towns. And maybe it's only a mission because they can't support themselves. And it's something we have to do on Sunday afternoon and have to pastor two churches till God sends somebody else or whatever it is. It doesn't relieve us that Jerusalem is where I must go first. But all that begins with just personal evangelism. Do you know, Pastor, at our church, nobody comes to our church unless somebody invites them. It's the weirdest thing. Can you believe people don't just show up out of the blue? Unbelievable. I mean, the gall of some people to not come to church because I didn't invite them. We know that's how it works. But is it how we're working? It's a key ingredient. Listen, the only alternative to soul winning is disobedience. We have got to tell other people about Jesus. Well, I'm not quite ready to be able to maybe do all that just yet. Oh, well, okay. Uh, that's fine if you're not. Then you can just take a gospel track and you can give it to them and say, hey, I'd love to take you to church. Hey, I'd love for you to come visit with us and let pastor tell them about Jesus. Hey, but then after you do that for a little while, it'll become a little bit easier to just tell that family member, hey, do you know we are going to spend eternity? And there's nothing more important than that. I know you're going through a hard time right now and I'm, I want to pray for you. Uh, but man, more important than anything you're going through right now is what what's happens when all this is done? Personal evangelism, first ingredient. We see that here in our text verse, go ye therefore and teach all nations. We see it in Luke 24 verses 46 through 47 when he said, as it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and rise from the dead the third day that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Listen, evangelism is sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ and Christ alone for the remission of sin and it is the preaching of repentance, the need to turn from their sinful life because they're already on their way to hell and it's the, the turning from that life on their way to hell to Jesus Christ that they might accept Christ and Christ alone for salvation. Listen, there are a lot of other people uh, that say a lot of other things about salvation, but what we have to focus on is what are the Bible ingredients to make us to be a Bible-believing New Testament church? Because remember, a, a church is made up of individual believers. You want a strong church? Then you've got to be a strong Christian because strong Christians make strong families. Strong families make strong churches. 
That means, Dad, you've got to pastor your home. That means you've got to study the Word of God. Well, my wife, she's at home with the kids all day. She gets more time to read her Bible than I do. Well, suck it up, man. That's why we got broad shoulders. Stay up later, read a little longer, listen to some more podcasts about preaching while you're going down the road and, and whatever else you need to do to just grow in the Lord. Because, listen, that is the life and death difference for Jefferson County in Montana. God put you in a perfect place that from I-90, you are just right there in the center part where you can just reach from Butte all the way up past Boulder to what is it? Almost to Helena, isn't it? The county goes. I mean, all of that place that you could reach for Jesus Christ. That's almost 15,000 people or so that you could reach for Jesus Christ. Hey, if you've got to drive all the way to Bozeman to find a good Walmart, trust me, I understand that. We have to go all the way to North Spokane to find something that is halfway decent to shop in and Texas Roadhouse. It's, it's worth the trip just for that. <clears throat> the rolls, I'm telling you, it's just, uh, it's manna. It, it's, that's what manna was. It has to be. Yes. Let's just take a moment here. No. Um, but in reality, it's like, listen, that all of that needs to be reached for Jesus Christ because most of the people you see day in and day out do not know Jesus. They don't know him as their personal savior. Not only do we have evangelism, then there's got to be discipleship. The second part of Matthew 28, 19 and 20, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. I think that's one of the greatest failures in our churches today is a lack of discipleship. If you've been saved for, like me, for 40 years or more, you've been in church and you've heard a lot of preaching, you've heard a lot of things that, uh, that have been good and, and you feel like you know a lot of Bible, but if you have never been through a specific discipleship program, you're still missing it. You're a step behind. It doesn't matter if you've been saved for 50, 60, 70 years. Because we can hear a lot of preaching from the pulpit that may sound good, but how do you know it's Bible? Did you look it up? Did you study that out? Hey, what, what doctrine does that go with? That's why we need discipleship. Well, if you've been through discipleship, you know what that means? Now you're supposed to be helping pastor disciple other people. Hey, the, you ought to be winning somebody to Jesus Christ and then being able to say, hey, pastor, can you help me to be able to guide this person in the word of God? Discipleship, it's so key. 2 Timothy 2, 1 and 2, where it says, The same that you have heard of me, commit thou the same to faithful men. Evangelism, discipleship, church planting. Listen, we have got to be a part of church planting. That's missions. Missions is church planting. I know there are a lot of good helps ministries, and I'm not saying they're not needed, but biblical missions is planting churches. It is doing the work that the apostle Paul did. The word missionary comes from the Latin word missio which means sent one which is the same as the Greek word apostle and I'm not saying that they're apostles like we would say the 12 apostles but that is what they were sent to do. The 12 the 70 then the whole church was sent out for one purpose to fulfill the great commission and to plant churches. You look at Acts 16, as we talked about this morning, it's the beginning of Paul's second missionary journey. And it gives us the most details of how Paul went into a city and he preached the gospel and they would get saved and then he would do discipleship. 
And sometimes there'd be so many that got saved that it was growing that he would rent a building and he would do a Bible institute and have services almost every single day to build together a group of people and then he would go to the next place. A, a year and a half he stayed in, uh, in Ephesus and almost two years he stayed in uh, the church at Corinth and just building and growing and then going to the next place, starting another church, starting another church, leaving somebody here to help train these people while he goes and starts another church and then he goes and starts another church. And let me tell you, there is nothing more fun than planting churches. There's nothing more tiring than planting churches. There's nothing more fun. I can tell you this year, I want to give God the honor and glory for everything that he's done. All the churches we've started, we have fought some battles and they have been some doozies from time to time. But whatever God is doing at Freedom Baptist Church now in Blanchard, Idaho has been amazing because it's all been him. People say, well, uh, you know, well, what kind of things did you do for church planting? I'm going to say, hey, just know God. Just pray and know God because everything I've ever tried that goes by the book and this neat little church growth thing, it's all not worth the paper it's written on. Set it on fire. Throw it in the garbage can. Set the garbage can on fire. I don't care. It is not worth anything that's written on. But I'll tell you what is, and that's God. Because the Bible tells us in Romans Chapter number 10, verses 14 and 15. How shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? Where are they sent from, churches? says, so as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. God has allowed us to have the privilege to come to Spirit Lake areas where we went to, now being Blanchard to start a church. We had nowhere to meet. We met in our little duplex. We went to the chiropractor. God led us to the chiropractor who said, you know what, in 2020, my wife and I bought our very first Bible because we knew we needed God in our lives. Within about a month later, they accepted Christ their Savior and were attending services there in our little duplex uh, living room that was about, this big, and, uh, and we were packing them in. We didn't even have furniture there because we moved up as soon as God told us. We were sitting in bing bag chairs and kitchen table chairs. Uh, and then finally we got a couch and we upgraded some recliners so people could fight over the good seats. Uh, and then God let us meet in one place and then the next place and the next place and the next place. And every time we try to get a permanent place where we could feel like we had our legs under us, it was a no, it was a no, it was a no, it was a no. My pastor said, remember, every no is a greater yes. God's got a greater yes. So in July of, of last year, uh, we made an offer on some property. We were looking for a unicorn. We were looking for a piece of property that uh, was three to five acres that had a shop on it that we could convert into our church auditorium uh, and that had power, water, septic already on it and that somebody would own or finance. Uh, that's a miracle in and of itself. We're a young church that's a year and a half old. We don't have the money to do any of it. Made an offer. They said no. So encouraging, right? A month later, after we surrendered and gave it all to the Lord and just said, Lord, whatever you want us to do, that's what we'll do. God did something mighty. God allowed us to be able to make that offer again because they called back and said, hey, they want to reconsider your offer. 
And I said, all right, well, sure enough, here we go. We can do this. We made another offer. They accepted it. That offer was completely by faith. Had no idea how we were going to do it. We wrestled up all the money with like a week to spare, I think. Uh, finally, uh, it all came in and we're able to just uh, put that money down. And we were closing on the building the very first day. They took down the garage door and the men built back the wall back in there. We put in some front doors because we went ahead and pulled a Solomon uh, or David. You know, David got all the stuff ready for Solomon to build the, the temple. And so that's what we did. Uh, we prepared like David and prayed like Solomon, hoping that the glory of God would come down. And so uh, we put the, the doors in and that very next week we started having church in there and uh, it was ugly and it needed to be painted and it still got concrete floors in it but we'll get there one day uh, if you turn around in our building and look on the back wall the front looks really good and you turn around and look on the back wall still don't have drywall where the garage door was uh, we're getting there I just don't want to do anything twice we got to redo the electrical in there so I said well let's do that first and then we'll fix it but so we just got started but then we had six months where we had to raise 50,000 more dollars for the down payment then we were also needing to add some bathrooms on there. So we decided to get started on uh, this, uh, this addition and we had a plan how we were going to kind of wait and raise some money and, and do it like that. And, and then we're making preparations and all of a sudden I get a call from the concrete guy. He said, hey, I had somebody cancel. Do you think you guys could do it in October? We just bought this in the middle of September. And now he says by the second week of October, we're ready to pour concrete. And I said, yes, we'll be ready. We weren't ready. I still had plumbing to dig up and, and to put in the ground and all this sort of, we weren't ready for that kind of stuff. But I said, yes, because you never tell a concrete man no because you might not see him for six months. So I said, yes, we get the concrete in, we might actually beat the snow. Little did I know we were going to get half killed in November. But, you know, we just, we got right to work and just started praying, Lord, here's what we're going to do. You're just going to have to send the money in. Well, guess what? God started sending the money in. Go to, went to a church planners conference, raised $10,000. Went to another church planners conference, they gave us $10,000. And I would love to tell you that it was because I gave this stirring speech that I was able to schmooze my way with all the pastors, but God took that away from me every time we went. It would just be I'd be the first person asked to come up. Or before I could even get to meet people that I didn't even know, God would just have somebody else present our need for us. And I never even said a word. And God just provided it. And we just sat back and just watched God over last year raise $238,000. That's just God. It's all just God. And we were able to put the 150000 of that in down payment and the rest of it to just be able to build this, uh, the foyer and the bathrooms. And they're not quite finished yet and we still got work to do, but I don't care. I mean, I'll be honest with you, I'm a little tired, but it's okay. Because every day I woke up this morning and I felt so guilty for about how tired I feel. And sometimes I get disgruntled about not wanting to work on something else because we're also going to build a house this spring because why not? You know, if you've got spare time, sure, let's just add something else to the list. And so, uh, you know, I, I got convicted this morning. I said, because Lord, you're giving me the strength to keep up. And this is more than I could ever do. This isn't me. This is you, Lord. You're planting this church. But isn't that what God said? Matthew 16, 18. When he looked at Peter and he said, Peter, on that confession you just made upon this rock, I will build my church. You know what? I'm not a good baker and I'm not a good church planter. But God sure is. 
And if I'll do my part and I'll put the right ingredients in the bowl like he tells me to, if I'll plant, if I'll sow, and I'll water, God will give the increase. He'll make it what he wants to make it. And listen, if you want God to make Whitehall Baptist Church what he wants it to be, not what you think it ought to be, what he wants it to be, listen, you just give it to him. He'll make much of it. But church, I'll tell you this. He can't do it if you're not going to be a missionary church. He can't bless us if we're not obedient. If we're not soul winners right here, every one of us, no excuses. Age doesn't matter. It it doesn't matter what your talents are. It doesn't matter how good you speak or you don't speak, how well you speak, sorry, uh, or don't speak. See, English is my second language. Sarcasm is my first. Um, There's no excuses. Every one of us can tell somebody about Jesus because all you got to do is tell them what Jesus did for you. You just got to tell them your story and how that Jesus changed your story and now he's the story. Look, that's missions. And listen, it's good to give and give it around the world. We ought to be involved in missions financially. We ought to be involved in our tithing, in our building fund, and in our faith promise. You ought to just trust God to do more than he's ever done before this year. You ought to be involved in that. But listen, church, you got to be involved in it physically too. Not just financially, but physically. Praying and giving are the two easiest things you can do in missions. The hardest is going. And when you go out door knocking, you go out inviting kids for a wanna, that's missions. You walk out those doors, you're on your mission field. It starts today. Not next week, not tomorrow. Putting you on the spot. The missions conference starts today. Well, your life as a missionary starts today. Lord, help me to be the missionary that I ought to be. Because listen, how can we ever send somebody to do something that we don't do? Churches are supposed to plant churches. I look forward to the day. I don't ever want to lose that church planting spirit in our church, that pioneering spirit. There's an excitement in our church because every week we're doing something new. This week they pulled up and part of the metal siding is finally going on the front of the church and we're covering up our North Idaho sign, the house wrap. And and so it's starting to actually look like a real place that was intentionally built, not some shack. And uh, so we're really excited about that. That's how I view it anyway. I don't even think they notice. But, uh, you know, it's starting to look good, but they'll pull up this week and they're going to see how nice that looks and there's going to be an excitement in our church people. I wish I would have been there so when they come up they'd be oh preacher that's awesome. A few weeks ago we got flooring down in the foyer and we got it painted up and and so people came in and they see a a fireplace and a a mantle starting to be built over there in the corner and they're starting to get the vision of where we're going with this thing and it's an exciting time and it's their church because they literally came and built it. We had men that had absolutely no skill whatsoever joined together, several of them taking almost a month off of their jobs. That's sacrifice to come up and frame up a building that they didn't know what to do. And we have killed ourselves trying to raise a 14-foot, two-by-six wall. Don't ever do that. That's not worth it. And thank God we had a tractor nearby to rescue us all. 
Otherwise, we'd have just had to build the church out in the yard and because uh, we couldn't lift it. But listen, it was an exciting time and it's their church. And when they come in and they see something new because they put their hands to it, there's just this fire about it. There's this growth. And they invited somebody who came to church and they came and, and a month later they accepted Christ as their Savior. It's like, man, now it's exciting. I don't ever want to lose that. Well, you know how we don't lose that? It's not about church growth or, or some mega church philosophy. No, it's about just being a Bible-believing, New Testament, missionary-minded church where we're just going out and telling somebody about Jesus because the Bible says that if you'll go out and you'll bear uh, some seed and some, with some weeping, he said, yea, doubtless will you come again with rejoicing, bringing your sheaves with you. And he said, my word will not return void ever. There will never be a time that his word goes out and comes back empty, ever. Tony Hudson asked Dr. Lee Robertson one time, why do you think people aren't getting saved like they used to? Dr. Robertson responded, he said, well, Tony, that's one of two reasons. Either the gospel's lost its power or we're not giving in enough. Well, church, can I tell you, the gospel hasn't lost its power. People wonder, how could a loving God let people who've never heard the gospel go to hell? He left us the job. We did. But can I tell you, not only do we see, and I'm just blowing through this, the ingredients of a local church, the involvement is physical and financial, but then lastly, the impact of a missionary church. Can I tell you, the impact is a guaranteed result. A guaranteed result. I don't have time to go through it, but in Colossians chapter number 1, we see clearly, I'll give you the verses, chapter number one, uh, verses three through eight. Paul is writing to the church at Colossae that he's never been to. Remember, Paul goes and he leads Aprilla, Aquila and Priscilla to Christ and they get so excited that they stay behind and they want to be a part of church planting and they disciple uh, this guy named Apollos who turns out to be one of the greatest pastors of all of New Testament church history even though we don't get to read a lot about him in scripture. He pastored all the big churches, was the most eloquent preacher. Yeah, just some local you know, house builders, some tent makers, some manufacturing people, not not called preachers, just, just some people. And so they trained him and then they ran across another guy named Epaphras and he started two churches. The church at Laodicea didn't turn out so well and then the church at Colossae that turned out pretty good. And so uh, Paul had never been there and he was writing to them. He says, and I'm rejoicing at the gospel and how that it's brought forth fruit unto you as it has in all the world. Think about that. That is written under the inspiration of Scripture. That is not hyperbole. That is not, uh, as we would say, ministerially speaking. You know, yeah, we, we had what, near 200 here today. And uh, it was nearer 200 than 1,000, so I mean, it was near 200. No. Uh, but you know, it was, it's fact. It was Holy Spirit-inspired Scripture that the gospel had reached the whole world. In 2020, I was able to do a little uh, family history, and, and so I started studying, and we found that I was able to trace back my family line to 938 A.D., and I thought that was so cool. Uh, my family made weapons for William the Conqueror who went over and conquered England and made it Daneland, and I thought, this explains so much. We've been Vikings just conquering and tearing up stuff and, and killing elk and, and caribou and making weapons all, all the generations. Now I understand. It's a generational thing. But I noticed that we had a lot of our family that were Celts and Britons. 
And it was because of them that Christianity entered into my family line. You know, that happened because of a guy named Patrick of, of Ireland is how we know him. But do you know how he got reached? Andrew, Thomas, and Paul went to the end of the Roman Empire onto the British Isles, what was known as Britain, and they went beyond the walls. In the book of Romans, he talks about how that when he went to Spain and he was going to go up to the end of the empire and back. It was because those disciples, those missionaries took the gospel to the place that my people got it. And they went from pagans to Christians. That happened in Colossians. My family's history changed because of what is written here in the truth in Colossians chapter number 1. Forty years after Jesus Christ died on the cross, the gospel had reached the entire known world. Every single inch of it in 40 years. Gospel hasn't lost its power, church. Our impact is promised if we'll go. Some sow, some water. God gives the increase. Church, I want us to make an impact on the world for Jesus Christ. But I want you to remember it starts right here. Our country is in more turmoil and cultural disaster than we've ever seen. Alexis de Tocqueville said when he came to America, he looked to find its genius. He looked in its halls of education. He looked into its political realm, and he found none. It was not until he entered into the churches of America that he found the true genius and glory of America. He said, America was great because it is good, and the day that America ceases to be good, it will no longer be great. Boy, we see that today. You want to fix our country? Tell somebody about Jesus. You want to be the Christian God saved you to be? Tell somebody about Jesus. You want to have a church that will last for generations that your children's children's children could grow up in and could, uh, could change the world from? Tell somebody about Jesus. That's where it all begins. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I just want to ask